Welcome to another episode of Something Came From Baltimore. I'm your host, Tom Gowker, and tonight on the phone, I have the legendary jazz bass player, Steve Swallow. Steve Swallow has been in the business since the 60s, and he is an influential performer who helped define the sound of post-bop, fusion, and modern creative jazz. Steve Swallow plays the bass like it's a guitar. He's 79 years old, and he is still the punk rock guide of the jazz world. John Schofield is a masterful jazz guitar improviser, and he knows all about the jam band world as he's played with Phil Lesh, Modesky Martin and Wood, Pat Metheny, and Miles Davis. Both John Schofield and Steve Swallow has worked together off and on throughout the decades, and they sat down with drummer Bill Stewart one day and went through the Steve Swallow catalog, and that is where you're getting Swallow Tales. Swallow Tales was released on June 12th, 2020 and it is on the ECM records before we speak with Steve Swallow let's listen to the song Falling Grace Hello. Hi, is this Steve? Yes, it is. Hi, this is Tom Galker from Something Came From Baltimore. Yeah, hi, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, good. Uh, we got 15 minutes. I'm going to ask you some, some questions, and we're going to get you on to the next thing. Uh, yeah, sure. Sounds like anything you got. Okay, I'm going to make you cry, just like we do on Barbara Walters. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Oh, my God. I'm in tears already. Yeah, you're not even ready for that. Okay, so Steve Swallow, welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. Oh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Now, are you located in New York? Yeah, upstate New York. I'm uh, about two and a half hours north of the city. Are you still quarantined, or are you uh, able to get around? I'm, I'm beginning to poke around, although I must say, and I, d I don't mean to minimize the, the impact of the virus, which is, of course, it's it's a horrible thing, but I've, I've enjoyed the quarantine immensely. We've had, I've had a great time uh, doing, doing pretty much exactly what I do when I'm not on the road, which is to sit around with my partner, Carla, who's also a musician, and uh, and make music in the, in the house. It's been a, a, a lovely time. Uh, you are going to hit your 80-year mark in October. And uh, so that's a, a major milestone. Do you have any like dietary or, or health regimens, or are you able to fight off arthritis? I mean, you're using doing the base. I basically I want to see if there is any kind of guide that we can give to people. Uh, how how are you doing it? Well, that's a that's a good question, and one that I haven't been haven't been asked before. I I I, I suppose. Like anybody who is approaching 80, I'm I'm thinking about all of that. I'm thinking about mortality, um, and and kind of wishing that I, I there's this faint hope that I'm eternal that I'm that I'm eternal, and uh, and it'll just it'll just keep going. But should that not be the case, uh, I've I've been doing what I th what I think has become kind of conventional wisdom i'm i'm eating less meat concentrating on fruits and vegetables uh carla and i walk 
uh, a considerable distance every day. At, uh, and I, I do believe that music, and, and in particular playing the bass, is, has been over the years a, a, a tremendous tonic. Uh, it's uh, when when you're young, you 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 tend to to to, to squander everything, uh, and now I'm reserving everything, all my resources. I'm very very conscious of treating my myself with with care, treating myself and and the world around me with care. They seem to be inextricably linked, uh, and I'm. I'm I'm hoping that you can do it by by making decisions of conscience about how to live. You can you can actually uh, prolong this mad dance that we're on, and 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 prolong the the, the planet's uh, existence as well too. Because as as I've become aware of my own mortality, I've, I've become aware of the the, uh, the the planet's mortality as well. Uh, uh, I, I strongly suspect nothing is forever, and, and that it's uh, it, it's on us to make us as as much as we can of uh, of what we've got here. As a jazz musician, there was a one time that it was one of the most dangerous professions of all time. You know, as That's a right. as a child in my in the early seventies, it was very common that you know people would would um, pass in their fifties. It was just a common place. You know, with substance abuse in the jazz world, you know, their people didn't even make it to their fifties. Was there ever a turning point in your life where you're like, I think I want to take this path instead of the path that was already presented to you? Yes, there was. I, I I think there wasn't a particular moment, you know, a kind of road to Damascus moment for me, but a kind of gradually dawning as I as I rounded out my my middle age uh, that I that I that I'd better take better care of myself than I had. Uh, I also began to notice that that some of the Musicians I, and composers that I loved most um, did some of their best work in their in their latest and last years, and uh, uh, I, I've felt all along that I was kind of a late bloomer myself. So there, there just seemed to be good reason to to want to prolong my life and to to uh, you know. Stop smoking cigarettes. Stop drinking alcohol. All of the the stuff that I had, they had that I had done to some extent to 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 excess at one time or one time or another. I, I especially I noticed that that uh, some of the composers I most admired did their best work at the at the ends of their lives. Uh, Bach and Beethoven spring to mind. You know, Bach the music musical offering was one of his last works and and it's my favorite. Uh, and Beethoven's last quartets are not chopped liver either. <laughs> uh and and as I have a kind of parallel 
career as a as a writer in in addition to my to my work as a as a bass player I, it it occurred to me that there was good reason to try to sustain my life as long as i as long as i could and i've been on that path since uh I suppose I I kind of woke up in my in my 40s early 50s uh woke up to the possibility that I might die you, you know when you're 20 you think you're immortal you, you, either you think you're immortal or you think you want to die when you're 35 just like Charlie Parker you know and uh, and that that has a kind of profound negative effect on how you how you act during those young years but if you're lucky you survive them and and come to your senses and i think i came to mind somewhere around the age of 50 At one point, uh, John Schofield was a student at Berkeley College in Boston, and you played bass while he played guitar. How did that connection evolve? By the time I met him, he 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 was kind of in in suspended animation at in Boston. He had he had finished his career as a student at Berkeley, and was kind of poised to leave for New York City to make his fortune. And I had just arrived as a as a teacher at the at the school. And so we met informally after hours. He he was kind of hanging around with a with a group of very talented young students and ex students who had, who had kind of gravitated to to Gary Burton's office. Uh, and there, there was jamming going on after the after the official school hours were over almost every day. And I kind of gravitated to that scene myself, and uh, and met John. And and there was a an instant connection. This was in 1974, I believe. I, th- I saw immediately the first time we played together that, that, that he was destined to be a, a, a major player. And I, so I subsequently, I sought him out and uh, made sure that we were aware of each other and well-connected so that by the time he left for New York City, I, I knew we would, we would continue to, to hook up and we have over the years consistently. It's been since the mid 1970s. Hardly a year has gone by when we haven't played together in some context. Who came up with the idea of the record, Shallow Tales? 
Uh, John did. That was entirely his idea. I was, I was uh, uh, needless to say, I was, uh, I was pleased that he, that he thought of it. But I, I, you might talk to him about it, but it just kind of occurred to him, apparently, the, that he knew a lot of my tunes. We'd been playing them at sound checks and kind of informally for for years um most of the playing i've been doing with him for the past two or three decades i guess uh was in a trio context uh, in, initially with the uh, adam adam nussbaum the drummer and then subsequently with bill stewart who's on the record playing playing drums um and we we for live performance and, and for our previous recordings, we'd, we'd always played John's music, and I, I thought it made sense that we did that. There was a kind of it, it gave the music a kind of a, a unity to, to be playing only only his songs. Uh, and I love the way he writes, especially I love the way he writes for guitar. Um, but but as I, as I said, at sound checks and and for the fun of it, we. We'd, we would occasionally play my songs, and I, I knew that he had a fondness for them. And I guess eventually it just came around. The idea, the idea that we, that there was an album in there was uh, had, had been stewing in John's mind for for some time. And I, and I think he did it just right too. He elected not to make it an elaborate production at all, but to but to make it in the manner that jazz records used to be made. We did the whole thing in a in an afternoon in about four hours, four or five hours. And and we knew that that's what we were doing, that it, that we were going to play first takes on these songs and and that was going to be it. And and that that created a kind of atmosphere in the studio that that's increasingly rare, I think. Most records are made these days in a matter of weeks or months and and you know you can fix your mistakes, and you can all there's always another take, and all of this, um, and all of that kind of went out the window. We knew when we arrived at the studio on that fateful day when we made the the trio recording Swallowtail, uh, that it was time to put up or shut up. We were just going to play these tunes, and what it was, it was. And I, I'm I'm very happy that we we managed to have a good good day. We, we lucked into a good day. John Schofield's album covers are normally pretty funky. He really is focused on pop art. And this album is very dark and moody. The cover is, is shocking because the songs are very joyful. <laughs> and, and you guys look like you're having fun. And it feels like it must have been a, a dark like March day or rainy or something. What was the reasoning for that album cover? Well, it was indeed a rainy day. That's an interesting coincidence, I think. Uh, but I, I do believe that the album cover was the, the product of the ECM art department. And, uh, and typical of an ECM 
album cover far more than it was typical of a, a John Schofield cover. And and maybe there is a kind of disconnect there. I think you're right to 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 see that that the the mood of the music is is doesn't correspond accurately to what's what's on the album cover. But if you have a a, a foot long section of ECM albums on your on your shelf, uh, this one will fit right in with the other twenty. You're hundred percent correct. ECM has their own kind of graphics. Uh, you can yeah, al- they you can really always, do. You can always tell them apart. And uh, the ECM also kind of has its own sound and and its own its own taste in repertoire, which is essentially the taste of Manfred Eicher. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what's interesting, I think, is that Manfred decided to to release this music. He wasn't involved in in making it. He wasn't at the studio. We we made the album. Uh, on spec, as they say, uh, uh, speculating that somebody might, some company might be interested in in having it, and uh, we were surprised that that Manfred Eicher heard it, liked it, and and immediately said that he wanted to to release it. Uh, I'm I'm glad he did. It's, uh, because ECM has a certain reach. Uh, and it also has a certain audience, and I'm and I'm glad to have this particular album out there on ECM because it it kind of de- defies the the ECM stereotype, and uh, it might lead some of the the usual ECM audience into into places it it hasn't ventured before. You're ahead of the gun. I didn't make you cry once. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> no, you made you made me laugh. I tried, I'm grateful for that. I tried to break you down. I don't know how this happened. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, try again someday. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm vulnerable. I've been had. <laughs> well, the 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 beauty. Of, we only had 15 minutes, and I felt it would be better just to do more of a an like get to know Steve kind of questioning and we can intersperse the music between that instead of just breaking that a lot of times i just break down the the songs and we talk about the songs and where they come from and whatever um no this is good i'm glad you got to the topics you did yeah most people know these songs anyway so it's not like why why beat the dead horse why don't we talk about you and what's going on in your world so i i thank you very much for talking to me on something came from baltimore Thanks for having me. I much enjoyed it. Hi, it's Tom Gowker, and I am the host of Something Came from Baltimore. Something Came From Baltimore is a words and music podcast, and it has famous and future famous artists, artists like Sean Jones, Rupert Holmes, Auntie Hammy, Joey DeFrancesco, 
Gogo Penguin, Joey Alexander, Bucanti, Gerald Albright, Paula Cole, and Kat Edmondson. It's music that matters. It's music for your ears. Listen and subscribe to Something Came From Baltimore and be a part of that Be More music scene. Something came from Baltimore. Something came from Baltimore. Something came from Baltimore.